Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm film scholar and spirit vault for Rituals of the Undead, Noelle LaCroix. And I'm story expert and a demon, technically, but not a bad guy, Lonnie Diane Rich. And we are here today to talk about Becoming, the two-part finale of season two. Becoming part one aired on May 12th. 1998 and Becoming Part 2 aired on May 19, 1998. Both episodes were written and directed by Joss. Happy endings can suck it, Whedon. Yes, if anybody knows how to make his characters miserable, that is Joss Whedon. And so that we're not miserable while we're trying to like figure out what in this show that we've seen a million times we've already talked about or what has happened or what hasn't happened, this podcast, Still Pretty, is completely spoiled from beginning to end. We could bring up anything from any point along the timeline. So if you haven't seen all of Buffy, now's the time to go ahead and correct that and then come back. All right, it's a big rock. Can't wait to tell my friends they don't have a rock this big. So let's go on patrol. In Becoming Part 1, as our Scoobies prepare for finals, the ancient demon Akathla is unearthed under Sunnydale, and it basically means the end of the world if Angel and Co. manage to free him, at which point he will suck the whole world into a hell dimension. He will swallow the world. And every creature living on this planet will go to hell. My friends, we're about to make history. And... Buffy and Willow find Miss Calendar's yellow floppy disk and find a spell meant to return Angel's soul. There's an argument in which Xander and Cordelia think that Buffy should just kill Angel instead of restoring his soul. Kendra shows up with news that a dark power is about to rise, and once they realize the threat that Akathla poses, Buffy makes a decision. I tend to side with your friend Xander on this one. Angel should be eliminated. I'll fight him. I'll kill him if I have to. But if I don't get there in time, or if I lose, then Willow might be our only hope. Angelus tries to free Akathla, but he can't pull the sword out of the stone demon's chest, and it's super frustrating, so he sends a vampire into Buffy's school to tell Buffy she has to show up that night at the graveyard, or more will die, and then steps into a shaft of sunlight and lights herself on fire. And, you know, I get that vampires like to kick it old school, but you can't email... Anyway, Buffy instructs Willow to start the ritual to return Angel's soul and goes to fight him, but it turns out he's just a distraction. Let's finish this. You and me. (laughs) You you never learn, do you? This wasn't about you. This was never about you. (laughs) And you fall for it every single time! At the library, Drusilla attacks, interrupting the ritual, crushing Willow under a bookshelf, kidnapping Giles, and killing Kendra. Buffy rushes back to the school, but it's too late. She gets there and finds Kendra's body amidst the devastation just as the police arrive and... Freeze! In Becoming Part 2, Buffy escapes from the police and goes to the hospital where she meets Xander, who has a cast on his arm. He takes her to Willow, who is unconscious in a bed with brain trauma. Cordelia meets them there, and they realize that Giles is missing. Back at the mansion, Angelus has plans for Giles. I figure you know the ritual. You're pretty up on these things. You could probably tell me what I'm doing wrong. But honestly, I sort of hope you don't. Because I really want to torture you. Back at the house, detectives are looking for Buffy, but Joyce doesn't know where Buffy is. At Giles' house, the demon Whistler approaches Buffy with a bunch of useless preachy twaddle, and she leaves but immediately gets stopped by the cops 
and rescued by Spike, who has actually some pretty solid reasoning for switching sides. For one, he likes the world. It's full of juicy, delicious people. But more than that, he wants Drew back, and stopping Angelus is the only way to get that. The whole Earth may be sucked into hell, and you want my help because your girlfriend's a big hoe? Well, let me take this opportunity to not care. I can't fight them both alone, and neither can you. I hate you. And I'm all you've got. At the hospital, Xander confesses his love for Willow, and Willow wakes up and asks for Oz. At the mansion, Angelus continues to torture Giles, but Giles doesn't give him anything. At the house, Buffy and Spike meet Joyce outside and make up a story about being in a band together when a vampire attacks. They work together to slay the vamp, and finally, Buffy has to confess to Joyce. Mom, I'm a vampire slayer. Joyce and Spike get to know each other a little, and Buffy comes up with a plan. Hit the mansion at daybreak and take out Angelus. She makes a deal with Spike. He delivers Angel, and he and Drew are allowed to live. Buffy makes the deal, but if Giles dies, Drew dies. Meanwhile, Buffy tries to explain to Joyce, and Joyce lays down the mom card. You walk out of this house, don't even think about coming back. At the hospital, Willow decides to try the curse again. She sends Oz and Cordelia to get her things and tells Xander to find Buffy and tell her what's going on, that they're going to try to restore Angel's soul. Buffy goes to the school to get weapons, and Snyder finds her and expels her. At the mansion, Drew mesmerizes Giles, making him think that she is Jenny and Giles finally gives up the secret to the ritual. Buffy goes to Giles' place and learns from Whistler that once the ritual has started, only Angel's blood will stop it. As Buffy's on her way to the mansion, Xander finds her. She tells him his job is to get Giles and get out, and then he fails to send Willow's message. Now that's a new look for you. It's a present for Angel. Willow, she told me to tell you. Tell me what? Kick his ass. While Willow starts the ritual at the hospital, Angelus starts the ritual to release Akathla. Buffy shows up and the fighting begins. Spike knocks Angel out and he and Buffy take on the rest of the vampires. Drew attacks Spike and they fight. He knocks her out and carries her away, uninterested in how it all turns out. Xander rescues Giles. Angel wakes up and starts the ritual and he and Buffy fight and he taunts her. That's everything, huh? No weapons, no friends, no hope. Take all that away, and what's left? Me. <laughs> Willow returns Angel's soul just as Akathla's mouth opens to start sucking in the world. Angel can't remember what's happened. Buffy realizes that it's Angel, and he's back. But it's too late. The ritual has begun, and only killing Angel will stop it. She kisses him one last time. I love you. I After killing Angel, Buffy goes home and gets her things. Joyce wakes up to find her window open and a note on the bed. At school, no one knows where Buffy is, but Willow is sure she'll come back. 
Buffy watches them from across the street, then gets on a bus and leaves town. Okay, so here we are today. Um, we have a very special guest who we have kind of hijacked at the last minute to come hang out with us. <laughs> Dr. Kelly Jones, how are you doing today? Hey, I am so excited to be here with no preparation and no notes. <laughs> <laughs> I know, Noelle and I were like, come on, just hang out. You've seen Becoming a Thousand oh, Times. <laughs> so, so Kelly is our color commentary for today. <laughs> Trust me, it'll be fun. Trust me, it'll be fun. That is the classic. For those of you who are unfamiliar, I don't know if we've ever talked about that publicly. Um, Everybody who I've pulled into podcasting, which is pretty much everybody, um, I always say... Would you like to do a podcast together? And they're always like, ah, I don't know, maybe, I don't know, I feel weird, I'm not sure I know what I'm doing. And I say, trust me, it'll be fun. And that has happened with everybody I've ever podcasted with. Yep. <laughs> I've always hesitated <laughs> at first. I've dragged them in, kicking and screaming. And then you love it, right? Has it or has it not been fun? It has been so much fun. It's a total yes. blast. <laughs> See, are you not entertained? You are. So <laughs> fine. <laughs> All right. So before we get to becoming, I do want to address a couple of things that kind of uh, came to light after we had our discussion about I can only have eyes for you a couple of weeks ago. Um, one of them was the argument that everybody made with me that James did accidentally shoot um Whatever Grace. her name was. Grace. Right. That was her name. Grace. Um, that he accidentally shot the teacher. And I, I think the argument that really uh, got me was when somebody on Twitter was like, he was in the middle of a sentence. Like, if you're really planning that shoot somebody, you wait until you're done talking. <laughs> and then you shoot them. And I was like, all right. All right. Fine. I definitely concede the point. It was accidental that he shot her at that particular moment when he shot her. But he was pointing a loaded gun at her. And so I don't think like fundamentally... It makes that much difference in like the meaning behind it. But absolutely, I concede the point. So everybody, you're right. I'm wrong. It's fine. <laughs> um, another thing a little more serious that somebody um, did kind of mention to me and like opened my eyes for it uh, was the casual usage of the phrase the final solution and I only have eyes for you uh, there's a point where Willow is talking about um, the doing an exorcism right and says yeah. the solution is the final solution and then Xander says oh nuke the school right and mm -hmm. that's it um, but anyway so because of the way that it was said I didn't really make the association to the the final solution, which of course was the Nazi attempt at genocide, you know, the, the uh, basic concept, you know, piece for the uh, Nazi attempt at genocide. Um, so I wanted to bring that up because uh, some people were a little bit upset that we just kind of let that go and we sort of laughed at it. Um, it's not an excuse, but I did think it was a pop culture reference. Um, I, I tend to avoid like um, Holocaust stuff in general. It upsets me way too much. Um, I find it horribly, horribly upsetting. So I don't really look into that much. I don't study it that much. I wasn't, I, I'm sure that I was aware on some level of what the final solution was. Um, but in Nazi Germany, the rest of that sentence was, um, it's the final solution to the Jewish problem. Um, yeah. And because of this idea, you know, six million Jewish people died. Um, and just for some context, that is more than all of Miami or Toronto, or Singapore, or Barcelona. Uh, it is all of Maryland, and it's Nevada and New Mexico put together. That's six million people, everyone dead. Um, it's almost too much to consider. Um, and I don't think it should be possible for me to not 
know like consciously not not completely understand immediately that this reference is to Nazis and what they did um, but it is possible because we don't talk about it because anti-semitism runs really deep within the threads that make up the fabric of our culture and we tend not to acknowledge it we acknowledge misogyny we ex- acknowledge racism um, much much more than we acknowledge anti-semitism and I think it's something that we we really need to start actually looking at it's also really weird that they made Willow say the phrase because mm-hmm. you know Willow is our only Jewish character, um, and and using the Final Solution so casually, first of all, is weird. Making our Jewish character say it is weird, and also the Final Solution as a concept relating to exorcism—that's not a connection that you would necessarily. I don't know. I wouldn't necessarily make that. Um, but in a world where it's possible for Nazis to march proudly in the streets of the United States of America, it's something that we cannot afford to forget or to be casual about. So I'm sorry that we missed it. Um, But I do thank people for bringing that to my attention um, so that we could mention it now and, and just acknowledge it because until we start to acknowledge these things, we can't change them. Absolutely. And we are always going to miss things because there's just two of us and we come to everything we discuss with our own, our own prejudices and our own experiences. So I really, really appreciate everyone um, on Twitter, on Discord, you know, letting us know when when we mess up yeah. um, so that we can all just continue to learn together. Because you can't know what you don't know, um, right. especially right. when you come from a place of privilege. So if we, I mean, and that's what privilege is, right? Yeah. Privilege just means that my whiteness, for example, mm-hmm. has never gotten in the way of how I move through the world right. or how I experience media. So mm-hmm. if you see something, let me know. Yeah, if we miss something, absolutely, um, let us know because it's something that like is is obviously clearly very important to us by the way that we talk about everything. But again, like we're not always going to get everything. That doesn't mean that it's not important, and that doesn't mean that we don't want to acknowledge it. You know, it just means that we missed it. It just got past us. So um, sometimes that happens. And thank you to everybody who sends out those corrections and is is not shy about it. I really like. Yeah, nobody's and- ever shy about telling me I'm wrong. I love it. Well. <laughs> and especially the folks in Discord. I really want to acknowledge the folks in the yes. Discord chat, especially mm-hmm. over the past couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. There's been some really great discussion in there and people are really um lovingly holding each other accountable, which is yeah. great. Yeah, which really, is really, really great. Nice. Not just, you know, not just us, but each other as a community. And mm-hmm. if you're not a patron already, <laughs> um, get in there. Or if you're yeah. not or if you haven't linked up your Discord and your um Patreon. I know mm-hmm. that can be a little bit weird. Yeah, it can sometimes be a little yeah. bit confusing. But, but it's, it's so really worth it. it. Yeah, it's absolutely worth it. It's a fantastic group of people there, and it's so much fun to see them all talking about all of these things that we're talking about. And this week, we're talking about Becoming, Parts 1 and 2, the episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer that destroy me completely every time <laughs> into a weeping mess of goo. So, uh, Noelle, what did you yes. think about Becoming? Oh, my God. God, there's so much to talk about. Mm-hmm. There's so, and it's actually, I think it's kind of mean of you that we have to do these episodes together. And I right. get it, I get it. They're one story, yeah. but holy crap! I mean, it's a lot. It's yeah, a lot. I mean, mm-hmm. it's kind of, it's kind of a lot, and and it knows it's a lot. I mean, we set it up with Whistler giving us our our uh, voiceover narration and you know bringing his 
I don't know. <laughs> it's kind of I'm I'm a demon sent down from wherever to yeah. let you all yeah, know what's going on. Weird. The whole Whistler thing, I think, is a little bit weird. It's kind of great, though. I like yeah. it. It it mm-hmm. brings it into the space of, no, we are telling a story. We have yes. something to say. So mm-hmm. we've got Becoming as our mm-hmm. title. And I just, I'm like, Becoming whom? What? Right. What is this title about? I mean, and it definitely seems to be, so, you know, something about this, this situation Mm-hmm. That Buffy finds herself in at the very end where she has to stab Angel, who has no memory of anything that has just happened. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, it's actually wonderful that Kelly is here because she and I were talking about this moment of we, what we were tempted to call choice. Yeah. But it's not really a choice. I mean, what do you call a choice that's not a choice? Yeah, I don't know. Dr. Jones, what do you got for that? Let's just let's just have you come in here and vamp without knowing anything. <laughs> what are your thoughts, Dr. Jones? Well, so Noelle and I were talking about this last night. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I said choice. And she's like, no, that's not a choice. And I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. you're right. But what do you call a choice that's not a choice? Like, right. it's a decision you have to make. It's an action you have to take. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, I, and there's a moment there. I mean, Buffy could have chickened out or fallen yeah. apart or mm-hmm. it could have been too much for her but it wasn't a choice in terms of I don't know like well a I, choice I mean my my thoughts on choice are that a real choice is like crunchy or creamy you right. know <laughs> it's peanut butter either way like you're still getting peanut butter or right. you know if you want to be a little bit more serious about it it's maybe the kind of situation where all right there are pros and cons on each side mm-hmm. and which pros do i value more and which cons am i more willing to endure or you know whatever yeah. where you sort of you sort of think about okay what like really what are my options here and what is the future going to be like moving forward if i mm-hmm. do this as opposed to that but Buffy doesn't have options in this moment. Yeah. Her options are stab Angel and save the world or have, what, maybe five minutes yeah. with Angel before they and everything else are sucked into a hell dimension. And, and, and even then, yeah. mm-hmm. even then, it's not a, like, oh, at least we get to be together. You know, we'll die together and be in torment forever, but at least we'll be together. No, because we hear that it's... Anyone who is not part demon mm-hmm. will suffer. Yeah. But they'll be, you know, she's not a demon, so they'll be separated. Yeah. No, there's that. And it's also that, like, I think that if the choice was that it would suck in just her and Angel, she yeah. might have just done it. You know, I mean, yeah. she might have, but it's everybody. It's yeah. everybody she loves. It's Giles. It's Willow. It's Xander. You know? Yeah. Um, it's her mom. Like, those. that's a choice she just can't make. And I think it's really interesting, this idea of, like, what do you call a choice that's not a choice? Yeah. You know? But, so, but it is heroism, though. It is, you know, I mean, maybe that's sacrifice. I came up with the word sacrifice, that what Buffy does is sacrifice Angel and then her sense of identity as anything other than Slayer yeah, to truly become the Slayer. I mean, this right. is Buffy becoming capital S Slayer. Mm-hmm. And it's especially poignant, I think, because in this episode, we see her introduction to her destiny. Yeah. But she doesn't really become the Slayer, you know, the Slayer until she stabs Angel 
and sends him to whatever hell dimension it is that he got sucked into. Mm -hmm. She does her duty as Slayer and loses all connection to the non-Slayer world. I mean, she's Mm -hmm. been expelled from school. Joyce has thrown her out of the house for being the Slayer in one of the clunkiest (laughs) coming out allegories (laughs) I have ever seen. Oh, seriously. Yeah. The person that she loves most in the world is gone. Mm -hmm. And Giles and her friends are all waiting for her at school and they are sure that she will return. But she chooses to separate from that connection and from her identity as anything other than the Slayer. Mm -hmm. And the next time we see her, she has a new name. Yeah, no, I found that really interesting. I I saw that in your notes, and it sent me on this whole riff on the role of loss in becoming, right? Because every coming of age story is a story of becoming. It's leaving behind innocence and moving into the world as essentially a new person. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, you think about it, like you're in that process all the time of kind of like, dying and becoming something different like you know you think about like the the baby that you were when you were first born doesn't exist anymore like that's gone you know and so for every transitional experience where you you move into being something else into becoming this new thing you know we're constantly in that state of transition but it requires at its essence requires loss you know um We have Angel's becoming story, you know, Um, and we have that showing up twice. Like he loses his soul. He retreats from the world for like 100 years, you know, and his next becoming event is when Whistler finds him and he like re-engages with the world. He sees Buffy. He watches Buffy, you know, as she is becoming the Slayer. And we watch that process with her, too, and her sense of loss, you know. Um, And then later, you know, uh, in the series, when he loses Buffy, you know, essentially they break up and he goes to Los Angeles. He then becomes a champion. But Mm -hmm. it is only through, like, like loss, you know, whether it's a sacrificial loss or a loss that we we actively choose, you know, or something Mm -hmm. that just happens over time time there's always this loss in that transition to becoming and I was I was really thinking about this um Mm -hmm. mostly because my brain lives in angel the series yes but Mm -hmm. this you know when we first started the show we talked about kind of the correlation between Doyle and Whistler yes how they are essentially the same character right Mm -hmm. that was supposed to be the same role I think yes I think it was supposed to be Whistler but that guy was uh, busy doing something else so they got uh, Glenn Quinn into play Doyle yeah because then we see at the beginning of Angel you know Angel's in LA and he's I mean he's helping people but he hasn't really become Angel investigations with this mission statement that we see him become mm-hmm. you know and he yeah. kind of he has to have someone sort of guide him toward that purpose. And I've always found that really interesting about Angel because when he's first turned from Liam, you know, into Angelus, Darla is guiding him on this new purpose, right? Like yes. she's going to show him the world, right? And he's mm-hmm. yeah, he's all for it. Now, he has great natural talent and capacity for mm-hmm. being a psychotic vampire. <laughs> but, but she's, you know, she taps into this like amazing natural evil that's in him. But mm-hmm. she still shows him the way. She gives him this purpose, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And then Whistler does the same thing for him. Angel on his own doesn't function. Yeah, no, he's not yeah. he's not an active protagonist. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah. as, so as a human, he was kind of a disaster. Yes. And then as a re vampire, he was a total disaster. 
Um, and then when we see him at the beginning of Angel of the Series, like the third time for this, he's not quite as bad. Mm-hmm. Like he's not, you know, living off rats in the sewer, but he still hasn't become the angel that we know until Doyle kind of comes and puts him on that path. So I've just, I've always found that interesting for a character who's supposed to be such a loner. Yeah. That really left alone. He has no purpose. <laughs> yes. You know? No, absolutely. And actually, you know, I should say, because I'm absolutely terrible at this stuff, like this is all, you know, like the last minute we pull Kelly in. Kelly is my co-host for Still Dead. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I didn't introduce Still Dead. I'm presuming that everybody who listens to Still Pretty knows about Still Dead, you know? <laughs> it's an Still angel Dead podcast, angel podcast. Y'all. Yes, yes. And Kelly brings that kind of brilliance to the Angel Podcast all the time. You need to start listening to it now. It's amazing. Um, So anyway, back to all of that. I think it's really interesting how, um, you know, Angel is kind of passive in in these becoming moments, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are some things that we choose and some things that we don't. Sometimes, you know, we happen to the world and sometimes the world happens to us. And I think that that's okay. Like you can react to stuff. Um, But he really doesn't. I think he does. He does make a choice and take action when he goes to L.A., you know, at the beginning of of Angel. And he is, you know, killing vampires, but it doesn't have this like greater meaning. It is it is uh, Doyle who brings to him the power that be more discussion about that in the still dead podcast yes. but we know this is still pretty so everybody out there getting angry hang on because i'm going to talk about buffy's becoming story now <laughs> um and buffy's becoming story is like really in a weird way told through the perspective of a man right because we're actually seeing buffy's story happening uh, you know, through Angel's perspective, like, you know, yeah. Whistler, Whistler is telling these stories we see, you know, Angel when he's watching Buffy, you know, um, and then Buffy being told that she's a slayer by her watcher, you know, who then dies and then she goes to Sunnydale and gets Giles. Um, but the watcher tells her of her chosen status. And I'm like, but when you're chosen, like whether there's a watcher there to tell you or not, like, you know, that suddenly, you know, like you can open that jar of crunchy or creamy peanut butter without a problem. And then <laughs> like, you know, you, when you get sudden, like superhero strength, I think you notice and Buffy is, is played off as this, like, you know, really silly, shallow Cordelia type, you know, uh, kid. And, and Buffy is smart, you know, she's, mm-hmm. she's not stupid. Um, so it's very weird to kind of like see this essential moment in Buffy's history, but through this external and, and, you know, male perspective of, of watching yeah. her make that choice. And then we have Angel, of course, stalking her as all the good vampires do, right? You right. Know, of course. Watching her, you know, she kills her first vampire. She's completely shocked by the whole thing. And yet, like, there is something about that strength we see at the end of season seven right when all the slayers are called around the world there's no watcher to tell them that they mm-hmm. suddenly have power you see it in their face they just know i have like, a thought this about is an that ancient calling right i have a thought yeah. about that yeah so mm-hmm. i think before willow spell in season seven mm-hmm. i mean essentially becoming the slayer or like the ownership of the slayer lay with the council or the watchers mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. And so to have their stories told by someone else makes sense to me within the story, because I think until that moment in season seven that changes everything, Mm -hmm. that the the idea of Slayer or the ownership of Slayer was still controlled by the Watchers or the Council or something external. Yeah. But I think Buffy completely reframes that 
Yes. And then when Willow casts that spell, not only does it wake up every potential slayer, I think it changes the way they become slayers. Oh, forever. interesting. Because I a like new that way. interpretation. Yes. Yeah. No, I like that too. I, think I like really that interpretation. Good. Yeah. So I think it's giving power directly to the slayers without explanation, without. You know, maybe it's passing on some shared memory. Maybe it's passing mm-hmm. along some shared consciousness that they didn't have before. Yeah. No, that's really interesting. I like that. And I also like it's it's interesting because we see, again, Buffy with this loss, right? She becomes yeah. the Slayer, but her family is breaking apart. Um, she's going to leave Los Angeles. She's going to go to this new place. And she loses that innocence, you know, that she had before, which, of course, is like all of these stories of becoming require that loss you know and her becoming story now that we see in this episode is you know supreme loss i mean we've already had like her quote-unquote loss of innocence as she's had sex which i think we put way way too much importance on that as a transitional that this is what coming of age means that you have sex and like whatever sex is just one thing in a million different losses of various kinds of innocence, you know, it's one experience. It's Mm -hmm. because I think we, we lean on, we lean on sexual experience as a transition point Mm -hmm. um, because we don't in our, in, in, you know, American culture, we really don't have a coming of age ceremony. I mean, if you are, Mm You know, if different different faith groups have their, you know, have their introduction to adulthood yeah. ceremonies, mm-hmm. but we don't have that. There's not a a secular um, version of that. So yeah, if you are right. not a member of a faith community that does a bat mitzvah, mm-hmm. for example, you, mm-hmm. you don't you don't have that transition. So, and also as a society, we're so weird about sex that yes. <laughs> we're like, okay, well, this is a thing that it. you yeah. can't go back from because once you've had this experience, you can't unhave this experience. Even if right. you only have sex once in your life, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, it's an inflection point. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. so I, I absolutely agree with you. We put way too much weight on sexual experience first sexual experience as the turning point yeah um Mm -hmm. in someone's life but i but buffy's turning point is you know way before that we actually see it through angel's point of view when he's watching her through the window yeah it's beautiful it's actually beautifully framed she's she separates from her parents Mm -hmm. and they're fighting in the other room and she's looking at herself in the mirror yeah and trying to I guess reconcile like yeah. who she was with who she is now, now that she's felt this, you know, now that she's had this experience of <laughs> dusting a vampire, which right. is, we talked about, I think we talked about in the very first uh, episode of season one, we talked about the kind of weird sexual nature. Yeah. Of right. Dusting vampires. Of the, yeah, yes, exactly. The, the penetrative nature of that and how it's portrayed as, um, you know, this source of power and mm-hmm. dominance. And we could get into all of the genderedness right. of those words, but we're not going to. <laughs> um, I was talking about the composition of this shot. Buffy's looking at herself in the mirror. Mm-hmm. Angel is watching her through the window. So we've got a frame and a frame. We're looking at her reflection. He's looking at her, looking at her reflection. And then there's all of these um, vines 
and mm-hmm. plants sort of growing up around the window. And we kind of almost not quite have a little bit of a Garden of Eden oh, moment here with separation from mm-hmm. the the father, really, yeah. because it's after this point that Joyce and Buffy leave mm-hmm. and leave her father behind. And there's this, you know, someone someone in our community who is much more of a biblical scholar than I am probably right. has a great religious reading on this and I can't wait mm-hmm. to read it. But I do love this moment of transition of her, you know, she's she's facing herself, I mean, yeah. literally, in the mirror yeah. and trying mm-hmm. to figure out who she is. But then it's it's framed through this weird, you know, angel right. is watching her device that I'm just not. I don't know. I don't. I'm, <laughs> it feels, it I don't feels weird to me that we get this huge moment in Buffy's life without her perspective on it. It's just Angel watching her. Um, And what's really interesting here, too, is that this is the point where, um, as we will discover, I think it's in season six, normal again, right, that it was after this that they put her in an institution, right? And when she goes into normal again, into that kind of like state, then she believes that she's been in that institution the whole time and that she made up all of her friends and vampire slain and Sunnydale and everything, mm-hmm. you know, that was part of this fantasy space and that the real world had her parents still together. You know, they were, um, you know, with her that, you know, like all this stuff. So it's one of these things that like, even after this, you know, we go back and kind of put into that space, her time in an institution. And then in this episode, a little bit later, Joyce is going to say, no, you need help. Yeah. Right. You know, but this is uh, in this episode, this is the first moment that that Joyce, as far as we know, has ever heard the term vampire slayer. But in, you know, in this timeline, right after this moment where she's staring at herself in the mirrors and sometime in the ensuing week, she says she's a vampire slayer. They put her in an institution and then she recants or whatever. So yeah. it's, a, it's a little bit weird. It's it's a big retcon. Clearly, that was yeah. not the intent at this time. But if you look at it in the in the timeline of what the show has established as canon, that's about to happen to her. Yeah. True. True. Yeah. True. True. Yeah. It's a it's a. It's a strange thing to have this transition sort of glossed over when we have so many transitions coming up. So you mentioned Joyce and Joyce finding out about or finding out, hearing the words vampire slayer Mm -hmm. and how that goes down is just so bizarre. Like, is it just that? Joyce can't handle it. Like what? <laughs> yeah. What is I mean, happening? Joyce is shocked, right? I mean, Joyce has seen a vampire dusted right in front of her. You know, um, she's sitting in the uh, living room with a vampire spike <laughs> while they're having that <laughs> wonderful. So every so Joyce great. and Spike scene is like my favorite thing. Like it delights me <laughs> so much. I love all of it. Um, but we have, you know, Joyce trying to deal with this whole thing with Buffy, it is very much like I think it that we do treat it like an analog for coming out. We have, honey, are you sure you're a vampire slayer? Have you tried not being a slayer? Like she's asking all of these questions and trying to understand it. Um, but also, you know, she's she's scared. She doesn't quite understand what's going on. But there's this wonderful um 
moment though with uh with Buffy and Joyce where Buffy basically says, you know, you haven't wanted to see it. Like how many times have yeah. you washed blood out of my clothes? And then we have this beautiful moment when um when Buffy says to Joyce, "Do you think I chose this?" Do, do you think I chose to be like this? Do you have any idea how lonely it is? How dangerous? I would love to be upstairs watching TV or gossiping about boys or God, even studying. But I have to save the world again. And then, you know, we have her give that wonderful speech to Joyce where she's talking about what this means to her life, what this does to her and how she doesn't choose it. and She doesn't love it, but it just is what it is. And she has to deal with it because she has to go save the world again. You yeah. know, um, and then Joyce for reasons that are, I mean, I guess I kind of understand, you know, she says, if you walk out that door, don't even think about coming back. And, uh, and this is just after Buffy has pushed her, you know? So, I mean, there was that it was, it's, it's a tough scene to watch. Yeah. And then Buffy walks out and just leaves the door wide open. Doesn't even I bother love to that. close the door behind her. I it love is, her leaving oh, the door God. open. It's so sad. It's so heartbreaking for me. Kelly, what did you think about this whole Joyce and, and Buffy interaction? So, Going back one second, I have to say Joyce and Spike may be my favorite people dynamic in all of Buffy. Yes. (laughs) But I was trying to watch this because I've watched Buffy over a course of so many years and I've gotten older. And so the first time I watched it, I'm all, you know, Team Buffy. Joyce is the worst mom in the world. Joyce is mom prop, essentially, for the plot. And so this time I'm, I'm well, I didn't rewatch it for this because we're ad-libbing, but you know, watching <laughs> it recently. We it literally the last second. <laughs> yeah. Um, I can see more of Joyce's perspective of like, as you're an adult parenting a teenager, how separated yeah. you feel from your own teenage self, mm-hmm. right? And like how much time has passed. And so I think she's overwhelmed. Yeah. I think she's in shock. Um, and, and I think she's in such a state of, if I just refuse to accept this, I can stop it. Well, and that you can play your mom card, you know, that you can like, and sometimes, you know, you're not your kid's friend, right? Right. You know, like that's not your job. Your job is not to be their friend. Your job is to give them guidance and make sure that you keep them safe, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, and sometimes that means you got to like, put your foot down. You got to be tough. You got to be, you know, not mean, but like, you know, not fooling around. And so I actually do have more sympathy for Joyce in this particular moment. You yeah. know, because what she's trying to do is, is, you know, get control over this situation so she can protect her kid. Right. And she you know? can't because, like, literally yeah. there's nothing she can do. So she, you know, what is she going to do? Ground her? No. I right. Mean, right. And, she, and tries. she can't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she can't yeah. physically stop her. And it, as hard as it is to watch Buffy push Joyce, like, yeah. to have any kind of violence there, I think it, it's showing, you know, Joyce couldn't physically hold her in that house if she wanted to. Right. And that releases Joyce, I think, from some of that responsibility as a parent that you feel responsible for everything. You are so Mm -hmm. super responsible. And when you are responsible for something over which you have limited control and the older your kids get, the less control you actually have. Right. It is an incredibly frustrating position to be in. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's really, really difficult. So, like, I understand that. But also Joyce grabs Buffy first. I yeah. mean, Joyce tries to, yeah. like, physically control Buffy, mm-hmm. and you can't do that. No, and that's yeah. the last line, right? That's yeah. the equivalent of grabbing your four-year-old before they run out into the street. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. 
And and so I just I think that she's she's at the end of her parenting rope. Like none of those books that Joyce yeah. is so fond of, <laughs> right? They, they don't they have don't a chapter on parenting the slayer, yeah. right? Like yeah. <laughs> it's not <Yeah>. in there. <laughs> what to expect when you're expecting a slayer? <laughs> what to expect when your kid is slaying? Yeah. What That's... to expect when you're becoming? Yeah. Right. Oh, there, there you, you go. go. There you go. So I do, and I th- I think it's there's parts of it that are clunky only because I think Joyce's character is still clunky. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I do feel more sympathy for her than I used to. She think, feels more moment. real to me. Like she's mm-hmm. flawed, definitely, and her understanding of the situation is is flawed. But I mean, of course it is. Like how could she? You're not prepared for this. There's nothing that right. prepares you for something. Uh, talk about out of left field. I mean, right. that's, you know, kind of crazy. Um, so, I mean, for Joyce, like, I have sympathy for her. I don't hate her in this moment. I do believe her in this moment. I, and it's not the right way to handle it. But how could she possibly be expected to know the right way to handle that situation? Right. You know? I think the, the thing that gets me the most, and, and it's so beautifully written mm-hmm. and so well done, is Buffy saying, how many times have you washed blood out of yes. my clothing? Because when you are that parent, You know, sometimes there are questions you have to ask. And, like, if I'm doing laundry and there's Mm -hmm. a bunch of bloodstains in it, we're going to be having a conversation. Right. But there's also a level of denial, too. And I think that that goes back to, like, you know, parents whose kids are gay, which sometimes can can be a difficult thing for them to handle, you know. Um, For some parents, I think, can be a difficult thing. Um, And so, like, you know, did you not know I was gay? You know, like, Mm -hmm. I mean, like, there are... Signs, I guess, of that kind of thing. Although with your kid, you don't really think about them in a sexual context. Try not to. You have to have the talk and you push yourself through that. But it's always bad, you know, in any context <laughs> of any of anything, you know, any kind of sex they're having is always weird. Um, but <laughs> no, but I mean, seriously, like, it is. It is. Straight or gay sex. Like, I'm going to be uncomfortable with either one. Like, it's just you having sex is, is going to be a thing. Let's just not talk about it. Right. You know, it's all. Um, yeah. <laughs> right, right. It's and all sex. It's all weird. Exactly. It's fine. Exactly. And as a parent, you have to be able to like pull yourself into that space. So you Mm -hmm. kind of like spend your time preparing yourself for that, but preparing yourself for the idea that like your kid might be a vampire slayer. Like the fact that there's blood in the clothes, she's getting into fights, you know, um, that's something that Joyce may have been kind of denying just that Buffy was in some kind of trouble that she didn't understand. But the idea that like you should have known I was a vampire slayer, I don't think that's something that would have been on Joyce's radar, you know? Probably not. But but she probably knew something was up. something and was up mm-hmm. in Joyce's defense though yeah like say maybe there is a blood stain on a shirt but your kid looks fine yeah right like so maybe you don't want to ask questions or you maybe are it's in rust. such denial maybe it's from the pig dissection in school exactly. like- <laughs> that you can rationalize it but yeah. I think this show not that I would call Buffy a child at this point but mm-hmm. I think the show, and y'all have talked about this before, does a good job of reminding us that children see things that adults refuse to see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and that line between Buffy and Joyce, I think, is is really well done here. Yeah. That there are things in the world that we start, we, we talk ourselves out of mm-hmm. when we grow up, right? Or we, right. we start to not believe in anymore. We choose not to see. Something I love about Joyce in this in this moment or in this series of moments where she comes home and Buffy's there with Spike is that Joyce is completely out of her element and Buffy and Spike are 
immediate. I mean, they're a team. They're working together. They are speaking this language that the other one understands. And they're not really making an effort to include Joyce and clue her into what's going on. Mm -hmm. And she just has no idea. Like, she's got nothing to... You know, she can't wrap her mind around this, even if she wants to, because there's nothing there for her Mm -hmm. to wrap her mind around. It's just all it's like they're speaking their own private (laughs) vampire slayer language. Mm -hmm. So but what I take issue with is her her putting down her foot and saying, you know, if you leave this house, don't bother coming back. Like, I just can't. I can imagine being in all kinds of super challenging unexpected situations as a parent especially a parent of a teenager but to say don't you know if you leave don't come back like that to me doesn't feel yeah that doesn't I don't know I don't that's they lose me there but I do love I love Spike and Buffy are essentially the adults yes saying this is Mm -hmm. what's going to happen here's our plan here's what we're going to do this is how it's going to go down and Joyce is like do you live here in town? Like right. she's just trying so hard, but she's got nothing. Like yes. I, that I do love. Yes. Yeah. Well, no, Joyce I think has, that's really yeah, great. Joyce has no schema for this whatsoever. Yeah. She has, she has no cognitive connections to attach to right. what's going on right now. Do she I was, know you from somewhere? So exactly you hit me with an axe one. Oh, you get the hell away from my daughter. God, yes. I love Spike Oh my God. Joyce. It's so, it's so, so great. I actually have that clip, so I'm going to play it now. For oh, yeah. <laughs> Have we met? Uh, you hit me with an axe one time. Remember, uh, get the hell away from my daughter. Oh. So, do you uh, live here in town? All right. So, I think that that actually brings us nicely into this space where we can talk about Spike because yes! Spike. Oh my god. Oh my god. I mean, I liked Spike. You know, all the way up to this point. Like, I always liked Spike. But this is the point where I love Spike when he gives Buffy his reasoning for wanting to team up with her. Yes. What do you want? I told you, I want to stop Angel. I want to save the world. Okay, you do remember that you're a vampire, right? We like to talk big. Vampires do. I'm going to destroy the world. It's just tough guy talk. Strutting around with your friends over a pint of blood. The truth is, I like this world. We've got dog racing, Manchester United, and you've got people. Billions of people walking around like Happy Meals with legs. It's all right here. And so we have these two working so beautifully together, which I freaking love. Yes. And, and like this episode does so much in terms of becoming, you know, what it's going to be. And this is the beginning of the Buffy Spike dynamic mm-hmm. that some of us love. And I will yeah. captain that ship, baby, because, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God, I can't even. But seeing how seamlessly they do work together. Yes. How they are on the same page, how they, you know, they are able to talk and plan and that there is this certain level, maybe not trust, but respect between mm-hmm. them. Buffy invites Spike into her house. Yeah. Which means he can come back. Yeah. You know, and so like this, this dynamic between them is so wonderful. And I love, I just love seeing how well they come together and thinking of this as the beginning of Buffy and Spike. 
Oh, it is absolutely the beginning of Buffy and Spike. Like that moment when they're um they're trying to explain everything to Joyce and they start like improvising this whole band thing together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. And again, yes. Joyce is kind of I mean, Spike is a lot older than Buffy. Yeah. And there's yeah. still not this question of uh you know, this is kind of the second older guy you've brought home like what's going on here Buffy she's a slayer she's you know she's this she's got this sacred calling like she is in a different league from most Mm -hmm. 16 year old girls you know but I love that moment too when uh when they kill the vampire and he gives her that little smile and he says he won't get a chance to tattle on us now and that is the moment when like he's falling in love with her absolutely they've got this wonderful rapport together they work so well together but that is the moment when he starts falling in love with her i call it like although actually i think i've already called it when he was watching her and admiring her fighting style too so there is that but he's been he's been falling for her and when they're fighting the cops and he's like hold on let me kill this guy first and she's like (laughs) no and yes. Spike's kind of like, damn it. But you see him like really transition to Buffy's rule book. Respecting yes. her authority. You know, like really quickly he gets it. He knows yeah. how to behave in both worlds, which I also think is fascinating because Spike doesn't have a soul. Right. But like he and knows he gives what it means. no fucks. Yeah. Spike he gives does. no fucks. So the fact that he knows to be sorry about Kendra's yeah. death. Yeah. He's all proud of Drusilla. Oh, Drusilla bagged a slayer? <laughs> she didn't tell me. And he's all stoked. And then he's like, oh, it's probably not good from your perspective. From your perspective. Like, right, but just, he can see right. her perspective. Like, he actually has empathy. Right. Yeah. That's what, the, yeah. The, like, the Spike soul vampire argument, I think, is born here, too. Because he yeah. does have empathy. And he's able to code switch between... Yeah, what he wants and what she wants, and he's, you know, going against a- Angel, and he's, you know, fighting to get back with Drew. But, mm-hmm. but we also see this first spark of like Spike fighting as the good guy. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he likes it. He likes it. Well, he likes the yeah. fight. I mean, he genuinely yeah. likes the fight, no matter what the fight is. He doesn't care. And we're going to see that coming from him, you know, later when you know he keeps having to remind everybody in season four that he's still evil. Like, Like, he has the chip in his head, but he's like, I really hate you all. I want you all to die. And then he teams up with Adam, of course, because he's still evil. But he has to keep reminding, like, both, like, the Scoobies and us as viewers that he is still evil because it is so easy to forget when he has that ability to have that empathy. Now, Noelle, obviously, Kelly and I are very much on the Buffy Spike ship. And this is not a surprise for anybody. I've always been... (laughs) A, a Buffy Spike shipper. Um, so how do you feel about Spike and Buffy in this moment? In this moment, I really love them mm-hmm. working as a team. Yeah. I love him. First of all, I love him pulling the cigarette out of the unconscious yes. cop's yes. pocket. <laughs> that is so fantastic. Oh, I love great. him monologuing at her and just being like, look, like mm-hmm. this is how it is. I like the world. All my stuff is here. Yes, <laughs> But then... When they're walking together, you know, Kelly mentioned not quite, not quite trust, but like they know, they each know what the other is capable of. So when they're walking back to Buffy's house and they're looking at each other instead of looking where they're going, Mm -hmm. I can see like the the beginnings of the ship there. I think for me, it's much more about 
I love Spike. Yeah. At this point, yeah. I love Spike, and I want for Spike what Spike wants. Yes, yes, that happens a lot um, in a lot of ships because I will he say. is just a delight. He is so wonderful. But I love, I love watching them work together, mm-hmm. and I love. I I mentioned it already, but I love watching them be adults. Yes. While Joyce is just floundering. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. No. I mean, to, it's really yeah. awesome, and the way that they understand each other. And here is Joyce, who gave birth to Buffy, who has been with Buffy all this time, and has absolutely no connection. You know, but Spike and Buffy instantly work well together. They're connected. They can put a plan together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just it's absolutely wonderful. So for me, like this is this is like one of my favorite points in the whole run of the series like just seeing this this nascent beginning of what will become a a real love story and I talk about that a little bit in one of my still pretty episodes I think when I was talking about touched I think it's that episode where I was doing the video so if you go back I don't remember which number episode it was but it's the one untouched but the difference between love stories and romance is that romance is hyperbolic and wild and you know so like out there and and you know like incredibly powerful and a love story can be be quiet you know and can Mm -hmm. be slow and comes from working well together and understanding each other and sometimes in a love story like you know Buffy and Spike for a lot of their love story don't necessarily really even like each other you know but they but they don't think they ever like each other do they do they ever I think he gets to like her I think he really admires her yeah I think he does too but that that insight of a romance versus a love story Lonnie Mm -hmm. is my favorite favorite thing that's ever come out of still pretty oh I, thank I you mean, yeah. I think about it all the time it was one of those huge aha framework shifting paradigm exploding ideas mm-hmm. yeah Same here. I love it I no love and it opened up a lot here. for me because I've been writing romance you know like mm-hmm. I wrote all those novels and and I realized like you know People put down romance all the time, and I'm not going to put down romance, but I'm going to say that, like, the romances that I like are the ones that have love stories rather than this hyperbolic, wild, turn to 11, you know, like, romance, gone with the wind bullshit, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you want a real love story, and it's those real love stories that, first of all, don't always have to be romantic. They don't have to be sexual. They don't have to be, you know, this type of love story. We can have those kinds of love stories, and those love stories exist in a million different spaces, you know, Mm -hmm. like the love story between Willow and Buffy. Uh, my favorite thing about Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is the love story between Rebecca and Paula. Like, um, so there are love stories, and there's a love story absolutely between Spike and Angel. You know, um, yeah. there's there's mm-hmm. absolutely yeah. that 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 starts over here and then moves over into Angel the series uh, later well, on. But yeah. Um, yeah, and one of my favorite love stories, um, which I do have a, a point to connect this back to becoming, mm-hmm. so I'll do this quickly. But probably my <laughs> favorite love story of this show is Buffy and Willow. Oh yeah. That is a tremendous love story. Yeah. It's amazing. And we see, I mean, there's such great Willow in becoming, but this is also Willow's becoming. Yes. You know, this is when she's, she's getting on that path to magic. She's becoming a witch. She's doing this first big spell. That's a huge spell. It's such a huge spell. It's such a huge deal. And the impact of that is so amazing. And like, Mm -hmm. 
seeing the path that this puts Willow on and knowing what she's going to become is also one of my favorite parts of these episodes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's hard to kind of keep sight of that with everything else that's going on. Right. It's really easy to miss that. But you're absolutely right. I mean, this is a huge, huge moment for Willow. But before we get to the big moment for Willow, we will absolutely pick that up in just a second. I got to tell everybody that this episode of Still Pretty is brought to you by our patron supporters who give $1 a month or more to make it possible for us to do this every week and make it free. In return, they get exclusive chipperish content like special patrons only podcasts and access to the Discord chat where smart people hang out and disagree with us and are often right. Um, And if you are currently a patron, thank you so much for making Still Pretty possible. And if you're not, you know, $3 a month is basically one cup of coffee. And it's a great place to start to support us so that we don't have to run ads from ZipRecruiter or those douchey guys who make fancy watches that are less expensive than the other fancy watches or like (laughs) Harry's Razors. I mean, basically what I'm saying is please... Do not make us read copy from Harry's Razors. Visit patreon.com slash chipperish to save us from this terrible, terrible fate. And let's go ahead and get back to talking more about Willow because Willow is just goddamn powerful. Her resolve face. Yes. You know what it means. Her resolve face. (laughs) And she's in charge, man, from her hospital bed bed. where she's been knocked out. She's like, do this, do this, do that. Here you go. You know? Awesome. You know, we we foreshadow the idea of Willow being a teacher. We've he- heard a couple of times now that she's a really good teacher. She really loves it. And then Cordelia has that whole joke about you have something to fall forward on right. rather than something to fall back on. But I'm not sure that that really is Willow's role. R- Willow is much more of a director. Yes. You go mm-hmm. here. Yes. You go here. You do this. Get my stuff. Cordelia, mm-hmm. you know, Cordelia will fill Oz in on the details. I'm like... And everyone just goes with it. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Yeah. She has so much authority and she's so in control, you know, from a hospital bed with her head that feels big, but right. is actually head sized. <laughs> oh, my God. We get a little bit of Oz in well, this episode, but let's have a moment of Oz. He's he's delightful, as always. Oz is always wonderful. Yeah. He's wonderful. I love how seamlessly Oz has become part of the group mm-hmm. and part of that is that he doesn't he just goes with it whatever yeah. he he is ready to believe you <laughs> like he, he is willow. he trusts willow like he yeah. knows yeah oz is wonderful in that he assumes that willow is telling the truth and that she is on his side whereas mm-hmm. xander assumes that everyone is not on his side there's that moment that I actually really like where um, Xander is explaining, you know, we need to, here's why we need to kill Angel and Cordelia mm-hmm. agrees with him. And he says, you know, for once I thought you could agree with me and now I realize that you are. And <laughs> he just goes, but he's so ready. Xander is so ready to have a, have the world be against him. And Oz is just ready to be part of the group. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. anything you need. He's right there, and he's got his blue nail polish on, I know. which I love. Yeah. Oz is just a delight. Oz is an absolute delight. Uh, but let's move into like slightly less delightful stuff that we get from you know frickin' Xander in this episode. Um, oh man, yeah. Oh man, oh man, so, oh man. Well, yeah. I mean, the Willow Xander thing, right, is interesting, right? It's not. I I love that moment where he's you know, holding the bedside vigil yeah. and, mm-hmm. and telling her that he loves her. 
that feels like a genuine moment from Xander. Like, finally. Right. Well, let me go ahead and play the clip, and then I'm going to ask you a question about that. Okay. Look, you don't have a choice here. You got to wake up. I need you, Will. I mean, how am I going to pass trick, you know? And who am I going to call every night? And talk about everything we did all day. You're my best friend. Your voice. I love you. So here's my question about this, though. Um, yeah. When he says, I love you, he could be saying, I love you in this very platonic way, right? Mm-hmm. Except that we set this up with him, like, almost seeming to have this realization that he loves her. You know, of course, because whenever she is unavailable to him, either by being with somebody else or by being, you know, unconscious and possibly about to die, um, suddenly right. he's in love with Willow. You know, um, so he says that, and it's set up because he holds, she starts to wake up, he says, I love you. She starts to wake up, she takes his hand, and then he, she says, Oz, and mm-hmm. Oz is suddenly there, and you see this look on Xander's face, like where yeah. his his love for her, if if it had been this genuine like friendship love, I don't think it would have been played up the way that it was played up. I mean, it was set by these you know subtextual like you know connotations um, in, in the context that it was a romantic love and almost a possessive love because then when Oz walks in, you know he's all sort of put out by that. What did you guys think about that? I I don't read that I love you as a romantic I love you. I okay. read it as a like a true friendship, you know, like this is this feels like real friendship mm-hmm. um from Xander in that moment and I think that any sort of jealousy, I don't get jealousy in that moment from Xander when Oz comes in. Okay. I I read that much more as a transition from the kind of from having your primary relationship with a peer be a best friend relationship mm-hmm. to having your primary relationship with a peer be a sexual or romantic relationship mm-hmm. that that is a point of becoming as well that this is something this is yeah. a transition point for willow where the kind of presence that she wants at her bedside while she's in the hospital is somebody who's going to call her baby uh-huh. and yeah. you know not I don't know. And I don't know that that's what was intended. I think that, I mean, I absolutely agree with you that Xander has this possessiveness about, I was going to say Willow, but really every about women, woman uh, the women in that his he life. Wants. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I like, I think there's a missed opportunity in that scene for a Xander sort of realization of the different ways in which he loves. Mm-hmm people the people in his life that that it's almost it could almost be a moment of clarity for Xander where he realizes that he does love her and that's okay like to have this deep emotional connection is really okay and he can own it for himself that yes he does love her that is um, so interesting. Oh, Kelly, what do you think? Did you see that there? Because I know I saw it. I felt it was very yeah. clear that this was a romantic confession. I see it. I think that they were setting it up as a romantic concession. Okay. Mm-hmm. But I think Noelle's also right. And I think the, the problem is Xander maybe is a representation of the entire patriarchy here. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I don't think Xander has the internal 
dialogue, schema, understanding, whatever, to realize that he has capacity for different kinds of love. Right. So yes. if, if Xander is like the, you know, the patriarchal kid, mm-hmm. the only way he knows to love women is in this romantic possessive way. Yeah. Like yes. That That's the only model he has. Mm-hmm. And we know his family dynamic is not great. Mm-hmm. I don't know what kind of love Xander has ever seen modeled. Right. And so mm-hmm. I think for him, it's just very confusing. Like, I have all these feelings, and the mm-hmm. person is female. Therefore, I'm supposed to want to sleep with her. Right. It's kind mm-hmm. of the only path that he has. It's the only way he knows. No, that's really interesting. I I think he's very confused, but there there is this kind of beautiful second when, you know, Willow wakes up and says Oz and Oz is right there Mm -hmm. and Xander steps back. Yeah. You know, because like Noel was saying, he's realizing that, you know, Willow's still friends with him and they still love each other, but her primary person, like her Mm -hmm. person is now Oz. Yeah. And he kind of steps back to let Oz come in and take the space where he was just sitting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think some of that is Xander doesn't have the tools to know what to do with the love he has. Right. And, so and then I like that's that. the world. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. the world. You know, it's interesting that you said he has this relationship to women where if he cares about them, it must be a romantic or sexual connection. There's a moment earlier in the hospital when the police are there mm-hmm. and he pulls Buffy in. You know, she's mm-hmm. hugged him because yeah. she right. sees him. He pulls her in. The police go by. And then she says, that was about equal parts protecting me and copping a feel, right? Mm-hmm. That comes from Buffy. Yeah. Right. And I don't think that's necessary. I don't. First of all, I didn't read that at all as no. Xander no. Mm-hmm. copping mm-hmm. a feel. That was 100% Xander protecting her and also i think a genuine um display of affection yeah he is you know genuinely glad to see her in that moment and so to hug her a little bit longer i think is completely i don't know that like that felt very real to Mm me and to have her say that just no. Yeah, no. it felt a little weird. Um, I and don't the thing like is, that at I all. I think she was making the joke because it was like, a, a you know, because I don't know, to lighten the moment or whatever. Um, but you're right. It does kind of land. It's a little leaden, you know. Yeah. And it I don't like the really... way. It, I don't yeah. like it. But yeah. it's showing society's expectations of Xander. Exactly. Right? And then yeah. if you compare that to Oz, well, Oz isn't fully human, right? Mm-hmm. He has this extra. He has this right. supernatural part of him um, which I've always believed is how he knew when Willow was waking up mm-hmm. like I think he had that sense yeah um, that, and that's why he was you know right there when she came to and called for him mm-hmm. but I think like we have this or, or Xander believes these expectations for himself and so that's how he behaves and then it gets reinforced with comments like that was you know part protection and part copy and feel right but I, I in that in the that moment with Buffy I think that was 100% friendship and Xander trying to keep the cops from from seeing her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, and real, real love and affection and and connection after having been through something awful. I mean, I love that after Oz comes into the hospital room and Xander has moved out of the way, then Cordelia comes in yeah. and their kiss and hug when they reunite 
feels so authentic. Yes. I mm-hmm. recognized that. I Like, I have, I have done that. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. I'm so glad to see you. I'm so glad you're okay. Right. Hug and kiss. And they, I mean... Nick Brendan and Charisma Carpenter, like, I, (laughs) it's the tiniest little moment, and it felt so real to me. The way that they are reunited Mm -hmm. is just wonderful. And I love how genuine Cordelia is in that moment, too, you know, where she's, like, so concerned about him, and then she's like, yeah, I ran for three blocks before I realized nobody was chasing me real brave, you know, and then Buffy was like, no, that was the right thing to do, and it was the right thing to do. Um, So that, I thought, was really, really nice. And I think that, like, this whole Xander loves Willow thing, like, here, it's, it's, for me, it's weird. I feel like we do have these overtones of this expectation of possessiveness. I love Kelly's read of that, that he doesn't know how to have a relationship with a woman without wanting, you know, to to love her in that way. Um, but at the end of season six, we get Xander loves Willow, mm-hmm. you know, and Xander's love for Willow saves the world, you know, yeah. and that I think is where it's played absolutely perfectly right. Yep. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yep. Mm-hmm. So the other thing about Xander in this episode, of course, is this uh, horrible kick his ass moment, right? <sighs> Where he oh, doesn't gosh. deliver Willow's message. It's one of the most horrible, selfish, and seriously consequential things that Xander ever does throughout the run of the series. Buffy isn't even going to find out about that for five more years, and he is never going to face real consequence for it. Um, what the fuck with that? That I... <sighs> That makes me so angry, yeah. not just from a, you know, that is that is ghastly behavior, mm-hmm. but I don't feel like it's the right payoff for yeah. the Xander story. Like, I just, mm, I don't buy it. I don't mm-hmm. like it. No. (laughs) It's just a bad moment. And it's like, and the thing is, is that we never like if Xander, if there was consequence for that, if there was something, you know, where like this moment, Xander realizes he did a terrible thing and he has to reckon with that and he has to get redemption for that. Then, okay, great. We never mention it again for five years. It's just never a thing. It's so weird. It's Mm -hmm. so weird because I'm with Xander a little bit in the beginning when he says, you just want to forget, you know, when he's mad at Buffy and he says, Mm -hmm. you just want to forget about Miss Callender's murder because you want your boyfriend back. Mm -hmm. And okay, that's really harsh and shows no sensitivity to her feelings. But he kind of has a point. Like he kind of, he, he definitely... You know, he's perspective guy, as he tells Giles. Mm -hmm. And I can see, I love that that whole scene because I'm with everybody. And of course, everybody has different goals in that scene. So it's so uncomfortable. But he's, you know, I think that Xander's suspicion of Angel and his worry about like, no, wait a second. This guy isn't like a legit evil guy Mm -hmm. who did legit evil things. And we're going to restore his soul instead of just killing him right but that's a great question though like and i love the way they talk about that because one of the things and and kelly and i have talked about this a little bit because we were over and still dead and over an angel um there's a a sense of um you know of justice um the the monsters die the bad people get killed you know all this kind of stuff and and in buffy it's about protection 
right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's not about retribution. Right. It's not about punishment. It's not about vengeance. The the very second, we see this with Buffy a lot, but the very second that somebody no longer poses a threat, right, and won't be doing any more damage, Buffy just lets them go. You know, I mean, right. in season four, we see that with Spike. When Spike gets his chip and he can't hurt people anymore, <laughs> he's killed like so many people. But Buffy yes. is not, she does not have time for, you know, delivering retribution and justice and vengeance, right? You know, she is about how do I prevent, you know, people from being hurt? How do I protect people? Right. And that yeah. is at the core of what Buffy is about the story that Buffy tells. Um, and that that can be different from... You know, what we see, like, law and order is always about put them away, you know, like, yeah, put right. them in jail. Well, they're bad people and make sure that they're not just that they're prevented from hurting people again, but that they are rightfully punished, you know, and that and is not something that Buffy does. No, and it's it's really interesting, too. This is like a very crunchy space for Xander mm-hmm. because yeah. you're talking about protection, right? And we saw him protecting Buffy from the cops. Mm-hmm. But I think him telling Buffy that Willow said to kick Angel's ass is what happens when you take protection too far. Mm-hmm. So it's like when a when a positive becomes a negative or the point of diminishing returns, you know. Right, or, sure. or virtue taken to excess can be vice, right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So we see him do protection well, and then we see him totally fuck protection up. Yes. Because mm-hmm. I think he's trying to protect Buffy from her own you know, inability to make this decision about Angel. So mm-hmm. he just decides to do that. Yeah. And that's what happens when you take protection too far. Right. And then it becomes manipulation, mm-hmm. um, right. which is really interesting. But I also love, and since Still Pretty is fully spoiled, yes, um, I love that we see this conversation later in reverse between uh-huh. Buffy and Xander about Anya. Yes. Mm-hmm. When Xander is mm. in love with the demon. You know, right. and he's yeah. in Buffy's shoes and Buffy thinks that Anya has done too much damage. And that's know, and, and that's when they have the discussion. Out. That's right. when we find out. And that's out. when this comes back. Yes. In Subless um, in season seven. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I think is really, really interesting. Yeah. But but back to the beginning when we were talking about choice that mm-hmm. like it seemed to me at the end, you know, there was no choice. Um, but here Buffy could have tried to kill Angelus without trying to get the spell to work first. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's kind of that pivotal choice that she's making. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, to see Xander so totally against that. I think all the arguments are done incredibly well. Yeah. And then Xander cheats. Mm-hmm. And so it takes away all of that open, you know, discussion, looking at the different points, all of that. He just minimizes everything he takes it over and decides that he knows what the right thing is but the thing is though that like you know angel as um a good guy you you restore angel's soul it's not just that angelus stops hurting people which is true right but also that angel can actively he's super powered he can help them fight like Mm -hmm. he can alive as angel prevent people from being hurt and of course we see that he does um whereas being killed as angelus and that's it you know, doesn't, doesn't, and the ultimate good, if you're looking at the scale, I mean, I think that mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. is, that is not the, the biggest good that can be done here. So I think that yeah. that's a consideration as well. Um, and also this idea that like, you know, when Angel doesn't have a soul, you know, the responsibility question that we always come back to, right? If somebody's possessed by a demon and they do bad things, for instance, Xander, right, <laughs> was possessed by the hyenas and did lots of bad things. And he, as soon as he's restored, is that's fine, right? 
But we hold vampires responsible for what they do as vampires when they are, in a very real sense, possessed by demons, yet they're still responsible for everything that they do during that time. And that seems like a really strange, and it's a conversation we've had a million times and there's never really any answer for it, but it always seems like a really strange kind of dichotomy for me. Mm-hmm. It is. It yeah. really is. Yeah. And, and again, you would think if anybody would have empathy for what it feels like to do violence while you're possessed, it would be Xander. Right. Right. Yeah. But he, yeah. he has none of it. And it also raises a question for me about Xander because his closest relationships are all with women. Yes. Does Xander even have any male friends? Like we no. don't really see him bonding with Oz. He hates Angel. Mm-hmm. Giles and he have more of a kind of we will tolerate each other because we're on the same team. <laughs> oh my god, Sander and Giles getting into it in this episode. Yes. Yeah. And he says Jenny, you know, Jenny's oh, death and yeah. Giles just lunges at him and Oh god, and at the end when Xander says when Giles is like, No, he's making me see things that he thinks I want. He's like, Why would he send yep. me? And Giles is like, You're right, let's go. Exactly. <laughs> I love that, that moment. moment. No, so you're not real. It is so great. <laughs> Yeah, but Xander has no, there are no men mm-hmm. in right. Xander's life. Yeah. There are no, he has no peers. Yeah. He pulls away, you know, Larry would be his friend. Right. I imagine. Larry would probably <laughs> be his friend. Pulls away. And we see, like, in season three in the Zeppo, right? You know, when he does start hanging out with men, it all goes bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have a lot of empathy for Xander, mm-hmm. but he's also just the worst it's pretty much, in that it's moment. It's pretty much bad news. Um, all yeah. right. So, like, we have a big moment here with Kendra showing up, right? You know? Oh, my goodness. So yes. let's talk a little bit about Kendra because um, it's it's kind of bad. Right. I mean, she's like, it's great that she's there. Yes. But her entire purpose in being in this episode is to be killed. Right. You know, yeah. um, why isn't she fighting Angel? Buffy can't see things clearly. She is a slayer who can see things clearly. Why is she not? She could be dispassionate about it. Why is she not in the fight with Angel? Instead, she's hanging out at the library, protecting them when they don't know, like, they don't know that there's a trick coming and that they're going to be attacked. Not to mention that when they do get attacked, she is completely unable to, you know, do anything. She doesn't even throw a punch at Drusilla. Like these people come in and that's it. They just, yeah. Drusilla just grabs her, you know. Um, yeah. And then she gives her stake, her personal symbol of power, Mr. Pointy, to Buffy. I know. I know. Yeah. I have thought a lot about Kendra Mm -hmm. since we last saw her. I mean, when she first comes to Sunnydale, she comes in the cargo hold of the plane. And she says it's because she's undercover. But we also have a black woman traveling in the worst possible way and being kind of excited about it. Like, she's cool with it. And that's something that, that has, that really, I really thought a lot about Kendra and her relationship to what her life is like. Kendra just accepts discomfort, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it's traveling undercover or having only one shirt, um, having no connection with her peers. Being taken from her family. Yeah. She accepts this as part of her destiny. Not, and I would argue, you know, subtextually, not just as a slayer, but as a black woman. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, she gives Buffy Mr. Pointy, but then she doesn't put another stake 
in the pocket of her jacket. Yeah. When the vampires attack in the library, Kendra reaches into her jacket. She's got a, a pocket in there and she we see her realize that there's no mm-hmm. stake there. Yeah. So she just has the one. Right. I mean, that, and it, that it makes no sense. Weapons. I guarantee you, there's like a million stakes in that place. Like there's no but reason she why she is... have one. Kendra makes no sense, but she is a great fictional example of how black women are given nothing and they are expected to do everything with it and be grateful. Right. And sacrifice what they have to protect the white people. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, in our fiction, you know, um, black women are, you know, they're the ones who give the wisdom. They're the ones who, you know, inspire and support the, you know, the white main characters. They're the best friend. They're the backup, you know, Um, and then they then they need something. You know, there's nothing left. They're like the giving tree. You know, Shel Silverstein's oh, the yeah, tree, right? Yes. And even Kendra's yep. death is about Buffy. It's it's about Buffy's mm-hmm. loss, Buffy finding her body, Buffy being blamed for her death. You know, and in our stories, which define our expectations of ourselves and others, we run on black women like they're batteries and then discard them when they're no longer useful. And I'm not saying that like that was an intentional thing that happened because Kendra, the character, was played by a black woman, but I find it really telling. That this is something that happens to this character, our only, you know, major character of color on the show, not just a person of color, but a woman of color. Mm-hmm. And here she is sacrificing everything that she is, her her symbol of power, giving it to the white woman, the, the cute little blonde, to go yeah. and save the day while she dies for what? You know? Yeah. Nothing. I, yeah. She's have- not even eaten she's not even (laughs) yes that was my question this this has driven me crazy since the first time i saw this episode is that we know slayer blood is supposed to be like top shelf whiskey right like this is the best of (laughs) the best of the best for blood right and you have a vampire who is you know extra like Mm -hmm. drusilla is not your everyday (laughs) vampire right (laughs) And she knows this, right? And so she's she's able to hypnotize. I mean, Drusilla would be a connoisseur, is right? Yeah, true. And she's yeah, able true. to to hypnotize Kendra, and then she kills her with her fingernails. Right. Now, first of all, Drusilla's nails are badass. Like, yeah, no, they that's are. awesome. But but not to drink. Yeah. When she has that yeah. Slayer enthralled, yeah. I have never ever been able to understand. Why Drusilla would have done that. No, it doesn't make any sense to me. And it just, it it throws Kendra away like she's nothing. Mm-hmm. I know? think that's the point. Yeah. And I think that's the point. It's like the least interesting mm-hmm. death she could have. It's similar to, similar to Jenny's death. Yeah. yeah. Where Angelus just snaps her neck and she falls to the floor and that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, there's not even any ceremony to it yeah. it's just it's all I'm gonna about kill this slayer because i can just so, you know just so buffy can find her buffy could be blamed for her death you know like all of that you know it's all about buffy nothing yeah. is about kendra yeah it's it's really it's really problematic yeah and the kendra fact that is she's really, a person really of color and you know a woman of color specifically and that this is something that happens over and over again in our storytelling you know it's the kind of thing that i think having an awareness of it um is important you know that we not mm-hmm. treat 
are women of color characters like Kleenex, you know, um, that they serve us and then we throw them away. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, I find that a little bit disturbing. I'm not saying that like it deliberately was written that way or that, but it is kind of like the casual thing that I think happens when you don't have representation in the writer's room. Yes, absolutely. You know? Yeah. And then if you think about Kendra and you think about Nikki, mm-hmm. do you have thoughts on that? Like how we have another black woman as yeah. Slayer later. Right. In mm-hmm. season seven, Robin Wood's mother, Nikki, the Slayer that Spike kills. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And we also have our only single mother mm-hmm. or our only mom. Uh, right. As far as, as we know. Yeah. As far as we know as yeah. Slayer, mm-hmm. which has always bothered me from a stereotypical standpoint. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but her <clears throat> death is much more significant, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, because Spike, she's a mother. Yeah. Is that why Spike is yes, still wearing she, Nikki's jacket? Like, yeah. All these oh, yeah. Years later. Yeah. Yeah. Because That's she's Nikki's a mother. That he's wearing uh, in this episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because she is no longer mothers. I mean, I was going to say mothers are not disposable, but that's not true. They absolutely are. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but they are also held to a different standard. Mm-hmm. There's something um, more yeah. about a woman who is a mother in fiction. Right. Well, and she's the mother to a man also. Yes, yeah, so, that's I mean, true. That's, yeah. you know, like, it, the that fact is, very is true. that she is significant because of Robin. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. not Yes, she matters yeah. because of her son. Right. You're absolutely right about that. Right. Yeah. 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 So we will <laughs> talk about that when we get there in season seven. But right now, let's go ahead and bring it back to this episode. Um, let's talk a little bit about Whistler. Um, what did you guys think about Whistler as this, you know, narrator coming in and kind of telling the story out of nowhere? I have a love-hate relationship with Whistler. I can understand that. I really, I really want to punch him in his <laughs> stupid face. <laughs> but also, I kind of love him just like, I love his like, no fucks given yeah. attitude. And I love... <laughs> And I love when Buffy tells him that if he keeps cracking jokes, she's going to wear his rib cage as a hat. That's just <laughs> the best. But it is a little bit like out of nowhere. Like, who the, who the hell is this guy? Yeah. Why is he narrating this episode? Yeah. What the hell is going on? I know. I know. It's crazy. But I actually do love, like, I, I find him really annoying. The character, the actor playing him um, played Rune on Gilmore Girls, and I will never be able to not see Rune whenever I see him. And Rune was this really, really, like, super annoying, but very, very stupid character, which Whistler is not. Um, So that's always weird for me. But I love this run from him, you know, where he says, bottom line is, even if you see him coming, you're not ready for the big moments. No one asks for their life to change. Not really, but it does. So what are we, helpless puppets? No. The big moments are going to come. You can't help that. It's what you do afterwards that counts. That's when you find out who you are, right? And the whole theme of everything is about becoming, right? So that is, those are the big moments. That's when we find out who we are. That's when we become. And so here we have this character out of nowhere that we see coming in. We see the, you know, flashbacks with him, you know, bringing Angel to his destiny. Like he is in the background, you know, actually being the puppeteer, like, you know, being there and giving the information when it's essential, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Like it's all, it's all so weird to have this character that we have no connection with and we'll never see again, you know, um, yeah. and have him bring in all this like narrative 
weight and it, it, I like it and I also hate it. Like I have very complicated feelings about it because I like <laughs> I like the writing for him. I like what he says, but I don't particularly like. And then he's you know in Giles' house. You know, Buffy finds him and he's like doing all this like mystical, you know, kind of bullshit. Like, just tell it's like, her. just tell her what she just needs to know. And leave. Like, exactly. <laughs> like, if you're really there to help, why are you making them sit through your big ranting nonsense? You know, um, <laughs> it's his curse. No one understands him. Exactly. <laughs> but I think I think it's part of the powers that be employee yeah. training orientation. Right. Program <laughs> that like. When you, <laughs> when you get your first job with the powers that be, you have to take like cryptic messaging and exposition 101. Mm-hmm, right. And so they, they ensure <laughs> that you like you can, you can have all this knowledge, but you are never able to clearly distill it and you have to wrap it kind right. of in this It's a curse. Yeah, big we just life saw this lesson. with Lorne, right? And you know? Oren's still dead, where he got that information and he couldn't share it because exactly <laughs> because he'd been cursed with it. So that explains all the prophecies that are completely unclear. Yes, you know exactly, yes. Mm-hmm. exactly. So it, it's kind of like being forced to speak in cliches, except you're right. forced to speak in like muddy philosophy forever. Right. And yeah. I think that's kind of what's happened to Whistler. Like that's, that's got to be tough. <laughs> yeah. But also, like, we have this moment, too, which completely infuriates me, where he's like, well, I thought Angel was going to be on this side of the fight, but then you two made with the smoochies, and what are you going to do about it? And I'm like, wait a minute. Why are we blaming Buffy for this? There is nothing bad in the world that the patriarchy cannot blame on a damn vagina. I do not understand that. Yeah, okay. And plus, all right, so let's <laughs> yeah. say... Like, you're Whistler, right? Yes. And you know about this curse kind of thing right. or whatever. And you, you're first introducing Angel to Buffy. Mm-hmm. And, and she's this pretty little girl, you know, and, right. and whatever. And you see Angel's face kind of light up. And you're giving Angel direction. Do you think maybe you stop and pause and say, hey, buddy, by the way, if it ever right. comes up later, like when you fall <laughs> right. in a river one night. If it ever night, comes up both uh, euphemistically uh, uh, and literally. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> don't sleep with this girl. Um, right. Or, and, and like one of my arguments for Angel has always been, he doesn't know how this curse works. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, Does maybe tell anyone know how the curse works? Like, well, I, mean, I mean, obviously the folks who cursed him know, but like. It really doesn't seem like anybody ever gets a handle on the curse and how it works. Right. And maybe right. Whistler didn't know ahead of time. Like, but I think he it would have been really now. cool if he did. If he was yeah. like, look, you have, to, you have to help this girl, but you can't get involved. And then we see Angel, like, do that anyway. Mm-hmm. Oh, could, that would add a that whole been, layer of interest to that. Yeah. Right? That would have yeah. been really interesting. But yeah, I... I, I was like on the fence hating Whistler and liking his role, but yeah. when he blames Buffy for that, I just want to punch him. No, I hate that moment. I really do. And I think she should have worn his rib cage as a hat. I really do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's move on a little bit to uh, Giles. Giles, who is completely oh. badass. You must perform the ritual oh in a tutu, God. you pillock, which is like one of my favorite things. <laughs> yes. He's so tough. He puts up with all of this torture. And then Drew mesmerizes him and oh, shows him Jenny. God. And it is love and comfort that actually breaks him. And that kills me every time. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That whole scene Ugh. is so, so beautiful. And I'm like, don't do it. She's not real. He's so <laughs> <badass>. <laughs> like, no. But it's so gorgeous. It's it's so well done. Mm-hmm. It's so well acted. And it's shot just 
perfectly. I, I mean, these are the tightest close-ups. Yeah. That I think we've ever seen. Because the only thing on the he show. can like, see is her. It's we are in thing. such tight close-up, mm-hmm. and we've got this kind of dreamy, we're floating mm-hmm. on the water kind of camera work, and it's edited so wonderfully. And of course, her theme music mm-hmm. is playing, and oh, I'm just like, God, oh, Jenny know. and Giles. It's so wonderful. Jenny and then Giles. Drusilla keeps making out with him, which I do not blame her for at all. <laughs> <laughs> I love that moment when the boys are trying to get her attention. Drew, Drusilla. <laughs> We're done here. (laughs) We're done here, ducks. (laughs) I was in the moment. (laughs) So good. So good. Cannot blame her at all. But Giles, I mean, Giles is tough as nails. I know. It's amazing. I know. It's amazing. And I love, I mean... (laughs) I do love Angela saying the last time I tortured someone, they didn't even have chainsaws. I know. <laughs> and I'm so glad that we never, oh God, we no. never go there. Yeah. But, oh, oh, he's got the, and then he goes, I'm getting out the chainsaw. <laughs> yep. And that's what Spike says. I don't fancy spending a month trying to get librarian out of the carpet, <laughs> which is fantastic. So great. And Spike, you know, so great. working to make sure that Giles lives so that yeah. he yes. still lives, which I think yeah. is really nice. And I love Giles being ready to mm-hmm. knock Xander out yeah. for mm-hmm. mentioning yeah. Jenny's murder. No, it's nice. I love I I love that. I love that he has this one mm-hmm. thing that really yeah. gets you know, Absolutely. gets him in all the feels. Gets and it's wonderful. Feels. And oh my god, the the we need an orb of Thessalo, whatever that is. Oh, and I have it. <laughs> oh, I've got one. I've got one. I've been using it as a paperweight, (laughs) which, of course, is a lovely callback to the shop when the shopkeeper says, I've sold a couple of them as new age paperweights. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, Giles. I'm like, of course, Giles. Of Of course, course Giles has an orb of Thessalon. Of course he does. It's perfect. All the cool watchers do. Oh, I was just going to talk briefly about Giles at the museum. Yes, do that. When the, Mm -hmm. the scary... A Kothla box yes. is first, you know, revealed. Giles, I I love Giles's kind of quiet discomfort. Mm-hmm. Like, no, I don't want to open the box right. and I don't find want out any surprises. what's like, like. The guy's like, please don't. You know, the, the guy's like, don't you want to find out what's inside? And Giles is like, nope, <laughs> like not really, <laughs> not in a hurry. No, not at all. I love, and I love his pride, the way he beams when the the um, museum employee is like, oh, we have the best expert yeah. on, what is it, paranormal or yeah. something, mm-hmm. like, right here in Sunnydale, and Giles is just like, oh, huh, yes, uh, well, you know, and he's just like so pleased to be there with his expertise. But I have, I have one very serious um concern mm-hmm. about that scene which is when Giles comes into the room where they're working in the museum there is a coffee maker on the left of the frame mm-hmm. with only decaf oh no no what what no no no, no. Yeah, that's not okay that is museum never employee okay. <laughs> well <laughs> what's wrong with these people? i mean long hours at the museum yeah. unearthing scary boxes with runes on them right. where's Where's the coffee, really? Yeah, the real coffee. Um, mm-hmm. But Giles, I mean, Giles, for me, continues to be delightful mm-hmm. in every scene he's in. Um, 
all the time from from you know this this little interaction at the museum mm-hmm. to being ready to end Xander yeah. <laughs> to yeah. to really holding his own mm-hmm. against the evil that yeah. is Angelus. I mean, damn. No, he's seriously badass. And I love that we have this, you know, he's obviously like being so tortured and, you know, Angel says, you want me to end it? And he's like, yes, you know, and then you see him draw Angel. And so it's not even just that he's like <laughs> yep. refusing to talk, but he's actively fucking with Angelus, which I just yeah. love. I love it. And yeah. I love this so much for Giles because mm-hmm. it's always felt to me, like if you're a watcher, that there's this this push-pull between your duty and your humanity. Yeah. Right? And we see mm-hmm. Giles. Giles overcomes that in a way that I don't think any other watcher ever does. Yeah. Like what ultimately makes him the influence that he is for Buffy, what makes him such a positive force mm-hmm. in her life and in this show is his genuine love for her. Yeah. But we see him, you know, he's he's able to withstand torture. He is able to keep his snark and his wits mm-hmm. about him until he sees Jenny. Yeah. And so, like, that yeah. love is his undoing in terms of his duty in this. Mm-hmm. And, and he can't help it because that's also one of his greatest strengths. Yeah. And I, I just love how they, they embody so much of that in Giles and, and how he's so good at it. And he's such a great model for, for love, like, yeah. throughout the whole show. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I just, yeah, G- there's nothing better than Giles, except maybe Spike. Except maybe Spike. <laughs> <laughs> and Dark Wesley over on Still Dead. Um, <laughs> all right. So I, I don't think that we can get through this whole conversation without having a few moments for close your eyes. Oh, God. <laughs> so we open, we have Close Your Eyes twice, right? We have it in the flashback with Darla, right? You know, where she's. Oh, that flashback with the Darla. World, close your eyes. Oh, right? baby. Oh. And she takes this minute. And then at the end, with Buffy, when he yeah. comes back and he can't remember anything, and he's like, oh, Buffy, I feel like I haven't seen you in months. And he holds her and she kisses him and she says, close your eyes. And then oh. stabs him through the heart. And the look on her face, like, there is, sh- like, the way you have to shut down to be able to do what you have to do in that moment. Mm-hmm. I mean, my God. And all of that emotion, all of that experience, the heartbreak, and then the the shutting down, the realizing what she's just done as she's watching him being pulled into hell. Yeah. And the music there just Oh, the kills theme, me the close your eyes theme. Oh, God. Ugh. It's brutal. And it always makes me cry. But there... Okay, and y'all correct me on this because I'm sure I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. But like the, the the logical part of my brain that's trying to keep me from bawling when I get to the scene every yeah. time, I'm like, all right, <laughs> Angel's blood opened the big, big bad stone, right? Yeah. And right. Angel's blood is the only thing that can close it. But but couldn't she have tried cutting his hand and smashing right. it up there first? Like, <laughs> does she really have to kill him? Yeah, I think that, you know... I think that didn't Whistler say something like you have to stab him through the heart or something like that? No, Whistler never tells her shit, which pisses me off. No, but exactly. she comes like, back yes. the second time. She comes He's like, you got to know how to just... use it. And then he doesn't no, tell no, her. Exactly. She goes back to Giles' it's house. It's ridiculous. She goes back to Giles' house after that. Okay, so what Whistler says is his blood will open the door to hell. A Cathla opens his big mouth, creates a vortex. Then only Angel's blood will close it. One blow will send them both back to hell. So I think that like, 
like while it is a little bit vague, I think that you can't like cut off his hand or something. Although that would have been great, right? right? If there was a, if there was like kind of a loophole for that, you know? Can we have can <laughs> yeah, we have a loophole yeah. for something that doesn't cause all this misery? But of course, like good fiction is all about you know living through that trauma, you know, yeah. and and the the loss, you know, first her losing Angel throughout the course of this season, dealing with all of that, having that moment with um with him and I only have eyes for you you know where they're playing that out and she's kind of like processing her own sense of guilt and responsibility and then we get here she's ready to do what she has to do and then all of a sudden there he is brought back and she has to look at this man that she loves more than anything and stab him through the chest it is so devastating and every time I watch this episode I start the second he comes back I'm weeping, weeping, weeping. Then we go through, you know, her going to her house, getting her things, leaving the window open, leaving a note for Joyce on the bed, watching from across the street. Like she can no longer go back. She can't go back home. She can't go back to school. She can't go back anywhere. She is so fundamentally changed by that experience and by the power of that loss um, that that she has to go and, and like, you know, get a new identity and live somewhere else and be someone else. She cannot yeah, she be, can't Buffy. be Buffy anymore. Yeah. She can't be Buffy anymore because to her, because Buffy has always been about who she is in her life mm-hmm. with her friends, with her family. She's really, this is, this really is where she becomes Mm -hmm. the slayer. I think at least in her own mind, this is where she acknowledges to herself or where she believes, no, I truly can't have Mm -hmm. the kind of normal life that, you know, that she's been fighting for really for two seasons now. Mm -hmm. You know, that's been her struggle all along is. I want to be a normal girl. I want to be a normal girl and I have to do this thing. And in that moment, you know, that is real proof to mm-hmm. her that she cannot be a normal girl. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And she can't even look at him. She can't even look at him. She He's looking at her. Yeah. She's looking at the sword Yeah. in yeah. that moment. It's. God, it's so devastating. I just weep when she's on the bus and we got freaking Sarah McLaughlin. Sarah McLaughlin emotionally manipulative music (laughs) ever. (laughs) It kills me. Especially in 1998. I mean, come on. I can't hear that song. If I hear that song, I just die inside. Like, I weep. (laughs) If I hear the strains of Close Your Eyes, that theme that plays. Uh no fuck that no i makes me fall (laughs) apart every goddamn time so um so that's good for that i don't want to discuss that anymore i don't want to cry in the podcast uh noelle what are you wearing this week oh my gosh okay i love buffy's puffy yellow orange coat yes that that she wears for her first leg yes i love that Mm -hmm. coat so much it's like protective gear Mm -hmm. it's so great it's not quite hunter orange but it's close and i think it's chipperish orange i think it might be chipperish orange (laughs) it is it is delightful Mm -hmm. there's something very like yeah insulating about it she's still 
it's protective protected gear. From it's protective all gear. of this. It has puffiness yeah. to it, you know, like, mm-hmm. and that's something that she loses. She doesn't wear anything that has that kind of that that looks like armor, you know. No. Yeah. Mm-mm. No, she her blue coat that she wears throughout becoming mm-hmm. is much more of a like business attire yeah. almost. It's like mm-hmm. she's going to work right in her mm-hmm. blue. It's not quite a trench coat, I don't mm-hmm. think. But I love that coat. Yeah. It's pretty great. No, it's pretty it's great. Pretty great. Mm-hmm. It's that like shimmery material. Yeah. So mm-hmm. she looks kind of otherworldly as she's running in slow motion through the high school. Right. Which oh, God. that is the moment that gets me mm-hmm. is that slow motion run. Yeah. Um which when you're too late but you're running anyway. You're too late and time you know yeah. that the, like you're not going to make it right. you're not going to make it it's already too late and time feels like it lasts forever yeah. and it doesn't matter mm-hmm. how quickly you move yeah. yeah that's that's the bit that gets me um great choice of sweatshirt on xander uh-huh. because when he taps buffy on the shoulder in the hospital for a split second, it looks like it's someone wearing scrubs, and we think, oh, shit. Oh, right. <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. Oh, shit. A, you know, nurse is going to grab her, but then it's Xander, yeah. um, which I just, I love. And Drusilla. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Everything Drusilla. The shoes. Yeah. The shoes. I love that we've established those great Drusilla shoes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then her nails. Oh, my God. Her nails I want are practically that a character. You could do that manicure. That would not be difficult to do. <laughs> it's so great. Let's see. Do I have anything else? Oh, <laughs> I just love, I love Angel saying to Whistler, I want to learn from you, but I don't want to dress like and you. And then aside from the hat, he pretty much does. That becomes kind of his style with more muted colors, but like the leather jacket and, the, <laughs> you yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. No, it's good. All right. So what is our ARG, the patriarchy for this week? Oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. Okay. So we have sweet little human Drusilla, right? Mm -hmm. I try to be pure in his sight. I don't want to be an evil thing. Here's what I find fascinating about Drusilla. She has these visions, but her mother tells her that they're evil, Mm -hmm. that they go against God because only God should see things before they happen. Mm Mm-hmm. But there's not for one single minute the suggestion that Drusilla's visions might be from God and that she might be God's messenger on earth protecting people Mm -hmm. with her visions. No, because that would mean a woman was holy and we can't have that. Right. Mm -hmm. So Drusilla is never going to be at home in this faith in which she's been raised. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. With the matriarch in her life telling her that something she can't control about herself is evil. Right. Mm -hmm. And she's so genuinely distressed when she goes to tell the priest, who is actually Angelus, who has eaten the priest because priests are delicious. (laughs) I mean, they would be, right? Well, of course. I don't know. That's got to be some sweet, sweet blood, like second only to Slayer (laughs) blood, right? So she tells him... You know, she doesn't mean to have the visions, and she's so upset. Drusilla is powerful beyond measure. And her distress happens because she can't exist in this system Mm -hmm. that is around her. Her power is too much. So even her mother, who really 
should be her accomplice in harnessing that power for good tells her that she's wrong. Right. And of course, Angelus takes this and runs with it to right. torment her. Mm-hmm. You know, God has a plan for all creatures, even a devil child like you. Right. The patriarchy mm-hmm. made Drusilla. Yes. No, absolutely. It made Drusilla and it gets to keep her at the end when Spike yanks her unconscious body across that bench seat. Oh, yeah. I know. Exactly. It's, she is just possession. She is just Drusilla is what happens mm-hmm. to women under the patriarchy. Wow. That's my. Wow. That's that is nice. my nice interpretation. Nice child. That's awesome. <laughs> because then she as a vampire, you know, then we see her. So so Angelus tells her God is watching. Uh-huh. And then the next thing we see is her strut down the stairs in the present mm-hmm. as her vampire self. Yeah. And she's talking about, you know, the moon whispering to her and eating an old man and all of these. And it's like, oh, oh, we have like a legit mm-hmm. crazy woman mm-hmm. here. <laughs> <laughs> um you know, I shouldn't say crazy. That's not cool. But, you know, mm-hmm. as a as a legit crazy woman myself, I feel like it. <laughs> I'm I'm reclaiming it. I'm taking it back. Right. But she's, you know, she has to be she I shouldn't say she has to exist in this evil space, mm-hmm. but she becomes more at home in the evil space because the good, I'm using the largest air quotes you've ever seen Mm -hmm. here the good would tell her would still tell her that she's wrong right Mm -hmm. that that there's just no hope for her within any of these systems because sorry you're a powerful woman right sucks to be you right (laughs) so that's Uh, my that's my patriarchy rap for this this episode nicely pulled yeah Thank you. And when when Buffy tells Snyder, you never, ever got a single date in high school, did you? <laughs> I'm with Snyder yeah. when he says your point being. Exactly. Um, because what the hell? No. I never, ever got a single date in high school and I don't delight in expelling people. Right. So the suggestion here is that a man who doesn't date in high school is less of a man, presumably, and well, like has yeah, I think it's like people. power issues as a result. If you can't but, get if you can't get someone be it you know like a man or a woman you know to want to date you then somehow you don't have value like we associate our values yeah, and then eternally it... granted yeah yes yeah mm-hmm. that if you are not if someone if someone wants to be with you then you are valuable exactly and if not you are not yeah. and i don't i i don't like buffy making that pairing yeah. it's a lazy kind of a joke right and you know, it also I, is something that that promotes this idea of men as as you know conquests you know or like men treating women and dates as conquests that like if you can't even get a date you know you're not a man because you didn't you right. know like get because dating is about power and possession and not about you know affection and attraction right. yeah right no, it is it's, it's about power it's a little weird it's I don't like it. It's a little I don't weird. like it. But let's talk about power. Let's talk about the girl power moment of the week. I can't imagine what this might be. Tell me about the girl power moment of the well, week. Well, Buffy killing Angel. Right? That's one I of mean, them that for is sure. One of them. Willow. That's one of them. Waking up in but her I... in her hospital bed and like making shit happen. Willow. Yeah. For me it's Willow mm-hmm. in the hospital bed. Yeah. It's Willow in the hospital bed with the stinky herbs. Right. It's like <laughs> she's like 
I don't. She's like, I give no shits. I'm fine. We're doing the spell right now. Go get my stuff. Like, she's just the best. Mm -hmm. No, she absolutely is. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. All right. So Kelly, Dr. Jones, as our special guest this week, put in on the spot entirely with no preparation. Uh, What's your favorite part? (laughs) So my favorite part is when Angel and Buffy are fighting. And well, and Jealous, Mm -hmm. you know, and he tells her, this is it. You have no weapons. You have no friends. What do you have? (laughs) And she grabs that sword in midair and says, me. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Mm hmm. That is my favorite, favorite. Talk yeah. about becoming, right? right. Not just becoming yeah. the slayer and not just having to separate from mm-hmm. her whole life, but actually coming into her own power mm-hmm. and realizing all I've got left is me and I will save the world. Right. It. It's mm-hmm. just fantastic. Yeah. No, I love that. Okay, Noelle, what's your favorite part? My favorite part is Drusilla's vampire hypnosis. Oh, yeah. This is not something that we've seen mm-hmm. really yet and i just i love i love everything mm-hmm. that juliet lando does on this show yeah. but the way she does the little you know mm-hmm. trust in me kind of right. you know i'm gonna you know look me in the eyes and then this is they oh it's just it's so good. sorry i get excited because it's very physical and it's very it embodied mm-hmm. like she is acting from the top of her head to the tips of her toes, even though we can't see yeah. them. And when she and Kendra do that little sway mm-hmm. and you know that Kendra is completely under Drusilla's control, yeah. gives me chills. Oh, God, no. It's, it's so wonderful. So, it's so cool looking and so different from anything that we've seen a vampire do before mm-hmm. on the show. And I'm not sure we get to see that again i don't think that we do which is really too bad because i like vampires being scary monsters but i also like them being kind of i'm so powerful that i'm completely relaxed Mm -hmm. and now so are you yes exactly and i can make you think anything yeah Yeah. i can see inside your head that's pretty wild it's pretty wild well for me i think that this is going to come as a surprise to absolutely no one um my favorite part is spike Everything Spike, yes. every every little thing, every moment he's on screen, the way that he looks at Buffy when he says that guy's not going to tattle on us, uh, the way that when uh, Joyce asks what he does in the band, he goes, well, I sing. Um, <laughs> everything, yes. everything, everything. It's just, it's all delightful. Joyce and Spike, this is our first Joyce and Spike interaction, will not be our last. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that connection. I love the way he is with her. Um, all of it is delightful for me and it is absolutely my favorite part. And in a similar way to like over on still dead, whenever we have to discuss like, what's your favorite part? It's almost always going to be dark Wesley. Um, for me, like where, where spike is in the show, it will almost always be spike or spike related. That's it for today. To join in the discussion on Twitter, follow me at Lonnie Nye Rich and Noelle at Noelle Loud and Kelly at Dr. Kelly Jones and use the hashtag still pretty. You can also visit the Chipperish forums. Go to chipperish.com, click on the forum and join in the fun. Or you can keep Chipperish media going to the tune of a dollar a month or more and gain access to the live chat in Discord where you can hang out with me and Lonnie and Kelly and all the Chipperish patrons who are little Happy Meals with legs. <laughs> 
You'll also get access to exclusive patron content like our new podcast, Still Chipper, where the Chipperish hosts go off topic to talk about things and ideas that we find delightful. Visit patreon.com slash chipperish to find out more. You can also show your support by giving Still Pretty a great review on Apple Podcasts or by telling your friends about the show or by researching magic for fun or educational fun. We will be back next time with Anne, the first episode of season three. Until then, you perform the ritual in a tutu. You pillow. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh